But for the past few weeks, we've been talking about how the church uniquely contributes to our formation as believers. And as Pastor Steve has pointed out, there is no magic formula or program that the church can provide which will ensure growth in the life of a Christian. That ultimately this is rooted in the grace of God and in the hunger a person has to become more and more like Jesus as they walk through this life. But as was pointed out last Sunday specifically, the gathered church is this unique place where God is present and available to us every time we assemble, where we are invited to encounter the Lord, to receive his revelation, and then respond accordingly, participating in this ongoing divine dialogue or conversation that God wants to have with us, his creation. So this is pretty mind-blowing stuff. And I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of time this past week thinking about moments in my life where I've encountered God. Some of those encounters have been pretty subtle and subdued, and other times they've seemed a bit more dramatic or pronounced. This kind of juxtaposition of the types of encounters that we might have with God is seen throughout Scripture. We know that God is constantly active among his people, but certainly we see where there are instances throughout the Bible where an encounter with God is particularly memorable. So it's marked in some kind of significant way. I'm thinking here of Abram building an altar at Shechem, marking the place where God promised to give Abram this land and met with him. Or where Mary and, I'm sorry, where Moses and Miriam paused and they led the children of Israel in a song of praise on the far side of the Red Sea, celebrating God's faithfulness in delivering them from their enslavement in Egypt. Or how about how Joshua had 12 stones and took them and made a memorial, marking the place so that future generations would know God had moved the people of Israel through the Jordan River and into the promised land. I don't know that any of my interactions with God have been quite this grand, but in reflecting on my own experiences with the Lord this week, I've thought about how many times I've had these encounters, and yet I didn't really understand or comprehend all that was happening in the moment. Has this ever happened to you? I think this happens all the time in our daily lives in far less significant situations. You get a call saying, you got the job. But until you let someone else know that information, until you can share that accomplishment, that accomplishment with someone else, it doesn't all seem real. A pregnancy test might tell you there's a baby on the way. But until you tell that news to someone else, a best friend, a grandpa-to-be, maybe the father himself, <laughs> it's hard to fully comprehend what that little plastic stick is actually telling you. I was reading last week about some people who watched their televisions intently in 1969 as the Apollo 11 lunar module landed and as crew members emerged from the capsule and stepped foot on the moon. These spectators testified to the immensity of this encounter. They said they suddenly realized that they'd been holding their breath, almost in disbelief at what they were witnessing. That the utter silence that had been filling the rooms they'd been sitting in watching all this 
suddenly filled with frenzied and frenetic conversation. Everybody turned to somebody else seeking confirmation. Was this really happening? Did you see what I just saw? As if it was only real once they talked about it. When they could confirm the details and ratify things that just moments before seemed utterly absurd and impossible. Only then, after engaging with others, it all seemed factual. Only then did these people feel like they were truly involved in the moment. Only then could they really celebrate the fullness of all that was happening in this monumental historical event. And as I read this, it got me thinking, if this is true of things like jobs and babies and moon landings, isn't it reasonable to think that we might need others to help us process and understand our encounters with the living God? This led me to Mark chapter 10, where interestingly, there we see the disciples benefiting from this kind of intentional engagement following a variety of encounters they witnessed people having with Jesus. If you have a Bible today, I want you to actually open it up and turn there. We're gonna look at Mark chapter 10 together. And if you don't have one, find somebody near you who does because we're gonna cover a large amount of territory in a short amount of time. The team did a great job consolidating all of that, and some of you were really glad they did because you saw 34 verses of Scripture listed and thought, oh my, (laughs) they did a great job. But I want us to look at the majority of the chapter here because Mark goes back and forth telling us about Jesus encountering these various groups of people, and then he contrasts it with these intimate sidebar conversations he's having with his most trusted friends, the disciples. So the goal today is not so much that we're looking at a particular verse, rather we're paying attention to a pattern that emerges as Mark outlines this particular portion of Jesus's ministry. And within this pattern, I think we find some compelling support for our need of one another and for the way God uses the engagement of others within the body to help us understand our encounters with him. I think we also find here some direction for what these small groups should look like if they truly are going to help shape and form us into the likeness of Christ. So I think I hear the the page wrestling stopping. Is everybody at Mark chapter 10? Look right at the beginning. Thank you, Jordan. Mark chapter 10 begins with Jesus going to Judea where he's surrounded by a crowd. And as usual, the Pharisees start to riddle him, this time with questions about divorce. We're not diving in there today. I'm going to leave that for somebody else. What I want you to do is to look forward to verse 10, where we're told later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought the subject up again. In other words, the disciples had some questions. We don't know if they were confused, if they disagreed with what Jesus was saying, or if they just needed some clarification. But what we do know is that they brought the subject back up. They put it back on the table when they were alone together. Now, I'm sure this has never happened to any of us. We've never left here on a Sunday morning going, what was he or she just saying? (laughs) I'm sure you've never read a Bible passage and then thought, huh? But if that has happened to you, take heart, because I think that might be what's happened here. So the disciples asked Jesus, can we dig into this a little further? Now, maybe they're just really eager students. 
but maybe they feel like Jesus is stretching the boundaries a little of what they've always been taught and it's causing some friction in their souls. Maybe they're not tracking with the rabbi, if you know what I mean. But it seems like they hope by working through this together, they'll come to a better understanding of what he's saying and what he's hoping to form in them with his teaching. And it reminds me of one of the greatest encouragements I hear from people in this church on the regular. It's when someone says, we had such great conversation today in Sunday school following the service, or at small group this week after Sunday's worship gathering. Because I assume what they mean is that together they went deeper. They encountered God in the corporate worship assembly, and then they invited one another into that encounter through engagement. This is one of the great formative rationales for meeting together in the first place, because it's where we allow space and time to dig deeper into God's word together, where we unpack the encounters we have with God alongside one another, and where we test or confirm what we've seen and experienced and understand of God so that we can move forward in life different as transformed people. So right from the get-go here, we begin to see some traits of what healthy small group communities look like. And for starters, we see that they help foster a deeper understanding of our encounters with God and God's word. Look now again. I'm at the section that begins at verse 13. Here, Jesus and his disciples are once again back out among the people. And we're told now that they uh, encounter a group of parents and their children who have come seeking an encounter with the Lord. The disciples get all nervous at this point in the story. They think Jesus has something better to be doing with his time. And so in a way that only the disciples can, they try to be helpful and they start shooing these people away. And at verse 14, Mark says, Jesus decides he needs to have another sidebar conversation with his band of brothers. He gathers them and says, guys, you have this all wrong. You've missed the point in my being here in the first place. These children, the ones you're trying to get rid of, they are representative of those who will be with me in my kingdom. And he uses this moment to point out an important truth to the disciples, saying, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then as punctuation to his point, Jesus turns away from the disciples and re-engages the crowd, taking the children into his arms and blessing them. And it makes me wonder how often our attempts to understand God and our encounters with God are deterred and slowed because of who's missing from the conversation. Do we welcome those at our tables who are different? have different points of view and different perspectives than our own? Or do we avoid those people? Do we only keep company with those who pretty much look like us and who keep a way of life like our own? I think Jesus' engagement here with his friends begs the question, how might a more diverse community enrich and broaden my understanding of God and the kingdom of heaven? And if we truly want our small groups to elevate our relationship with Jesus, do we need to regularly assess who's at my table? Far too often, I think we mistakenly consider Christian community 
community to be that where we agree on everything. This homogenous consortium of agreement, if you will. But as one author has stated, true Christian community has nothing to do with compatibility. It's about learning to work with brothers and sisters who are around us. It's about expanding our humanity and our creativity to interact positively with and be surprised and maybe even delighted by others who are different than us. People who can help unveil the wonders of God's revelation and the beauties that we are incapable of noticing about God on our own. So healthy small group communities should cultivate an openness to the diversity within God's family and the kingdom of God. And I think that in turn more fully shapes our understanding of God himself. From that point on, going back into the text, starting at verse 17, Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples start towards Jerusalem. And at this point, he encounters the rich young man. Many commentators tell us this is one of the most famous stories in all the gospels. Three of four gospel writers tell of this account. And essentially, this encounter could be boiled down to a guy who Mark says is a devout man of the law coming to Jesus and saying, how do I enter your kingdom? And Jesus quickly notes that the man's earthly wealth is going to be the thing that will make it difficult for him to fully follow Jesus. Go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, Jesus says. Then come follow me. And upon hearing these instructions, the man goes away sad, unable to imagine an obedient response to this encounter with Christ. Now look ahead again, because right after that exchange, you'll see Mark tells us Jesus says, uh, sorry, Mark tells us that Jesus engages his disciples in another conversation. And I think this one is a doozy because the, the disciples have lots of questions here. They're to, we're told that the disciples are astounded that's a good word, astounded by Jesus' words to the man. They question if anybody could live up to the standards that Jesus has laid out here. And Jesus directly addresses their concerns with his reply. The rich man has come to him seeking counsel and advice, and he receives exactly what he's asked for. But ultimately, the man cannot abide by what Jesus requires of him. And so now standing there among his disciples, these who have given up everything to follow him, Jesus uses this opportunity to remind them that their choice will require a daily reckoning, that the call to discipleship will ask them to count the cost over and over again and to recognize that the cost is significant. Jean Vernier once wrote that community is a wonderful place that it's life-giving, but that it's also a place of pain because true Christian community is a place of truth and growth, the revelation of our pride, our fear, and our brokenness. And Jesus' interaction here with the disciples reminds us that healthy small groups facilitate spiritual growth and formation by nurturing a willingness to receive correction and accountability and direction from others. 
As Ruth Haley Barton has prescribed, true spiritual friendship is committed to pointing one another towards God, always directing each other toward a faithful response to his revelation and calling in our lives. One last segment I want you to look at starts at verse 32. As they're finally getting closer to Jerusalem, Mark says now there's a crowd once again following Jesus. But at this point in the story, more and more of that crowd is beginning to lag behind. They're growing fearful of the increasing hostility that's mounting towards Jesus in the city. And about halfway through that passage, we're told that Jesus stops once again to have another more intimate engagement with his disciples. He takes them away from what's left of the crowd for this conversation. And at this point in the story, I started trying to imagine myself in the disciples' shoes. After all of this, after leaving everything to follow him, after witnessing all of the miracles and hearing all of the teaching, after so many hours spent together and being entrusted with so much, doing life together. Now, they're in the middle of the road. Jesus pulls these guys aside and shares with them some pretty heavy stuff. It's about, it's about to end, he says. I'm going to be handed over to the Romans and they're going to do terrible things to me. I'm going to die and you're going to watch it happen. On my worst day, if I was in this situation, I think I would have said to Jesus, don't worry, it'll all be okay. I think you just had a bad dream. On my best day, I hope I would have stopped and listened carefully to him. I think I might have cried a little alongside of him, identifying with his anguish of what was forthcoming. I hope I would have prayed for him and prayed for my own faith to grow and understand what he was saying. But I realize what's more significant here in Mark's account is not how the disciples responded. It's the fact that Jesus is sharing these realities with these people in the first place. He's revealing the things he hadn't yet told anyone else. He's inviting his friends to journey with him in his reality as difficult as it was and would yet become. And whether they caught it or not, Jesus was also inviting the disciples into an early preview of the celebration he would ultimately have in the resurrection. Do you see that? He confidently states that though he will endure these unimaginable difficult things, he will rise he will fulfill the will of the Father in accomplishing his mission and purpose on this earth. And in so doing, Jesus reminds us that healthy small group communities help us develop the ability to share all of life's reality with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. Goodness, if Jesus himself didn't carry the weight of his mission in this world by himself or the glory of his resurrection why would we think we're intended to handle illness or bankruptcy, depression or death, or any of life's challenges as Lone Rangers? Why should we withhold the celebrations and joys of our time in this life from those God has placed around us? Those who are able to magnify and intensify our adoration to God in the form of thanksgiving and praise. 
Jesus' relationship with the disciples here outlines for us the reality of including and integrating others into our spiritual journeys. This importance of inviting other people to walk alongside us as we toil along life's climbing and often really rugged way. And so this morning, as we think about this pattern, recognizing that in many instances, our encounters with God aren't fully understood or realized until we engage with others, it's my hope that you're going to give this some prayerful consideration. The church has organized small groups for years. This is nothing new. But we believe these communities have the potential to play a really important role in helping us grow in the likeness of Christ. So today, if you're presently not involved in any kind of a small group, I hope you'll take a minute as a response to this word after the service. Out in the atrium, there, there's a living room set up. There's people out there who can talk to you about how you can get involved and find a community who can walk beside you like this. And if you're like, whoa, that's a really fast decision to make, you can think about it, but go out there and get some information. There's a way that you can connect later online um, in this same way. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, I've been there, done that. It's not gone so well. Let me encourage you that sometimes truly formative small groups take time to find. So, I want to encourage you to consider, consider giving it another go-round. Um, there's not a smoke screen here. I don't have any magic plan to tell you how to make it work. It takes effort to be sure. But it's such an important piece of our ability to grow in Christ and to understand God in deeper ways. Some of you are already in a group, and this is a really wonderful thing. But if that's you, today I want to challenge you to put the word to work. Because I think it's pretty easy for our Sunday school classes and our cell groups to become social gatherings or supper clubs. And today, what I hope you've gathered from Mark's gospel is that there's a deeper purpose for communing with one another in these small group communities. So work together in your groups and give an assessment to your gatherings. Ask yourselves, when we meet, are we diving deeper into the word and having conversations about the encounters we've had with God? Are our groups comprised of an ever-growing and diverse people who can challenge one another and expand our view of the kingdom? Or are we just kind of stagnant and comfortable with each other? And if that's the case, maybe it's time you invite some new people to pull up a seat to the table. We got people out there who can help you with that too. Is your group spending time talking about your actual spiritual journey? Not just what you hope it will be like, but how your relationship with God presently is actually impacting the way you're living your daily life. Is your group holding one another accountable? Are you encouraging one another, stirring one another to love and good deeds as the author of Hebrew encourages us? Or do you just get together and talk about news and sports and weather, keeping things at the service and never really going to any deeper level? Finally, are you really walking alongside those in your group? Are you earnestly praying for one another? Are you carrying each other's burdens? Are you celebrating one another's joys? And this is a big one. Are you allowing others in the group to do that for you? 
This is a gut check for me. I'm really good at carrying other people's burdens. I'm not so good at sharing mine with those around me. But in these groups, they have to work two ways. There has to be reciprocity in order for them to truly form us. Because the Christian life is intended to be a corporate one. It's intended to be lived in community. And so this morning, uh, that's our call to live alongside one another, to get together, engaging in relationships that allow us to recognize and respond to God in ever greater and more complete ways as we walk through this life. So I hope that's what Mark encourages you to do as you seek to know Jesus in greater ways.